Welcome back, sports fans. Particularly Cincinnati sports fans, I guess. Except Xavier. Except Xavier, yeah. Inside the 275 loop, back again for the first time in what feels like forever. Not been a whole lot going on since we last touched base. I mean, Bearcats just kept getting games canceled and canceled and canceled and... Postponed, but they're postponed probably not going to be made and, up. Yeah, probably. I seriously doubt it. And uh, not only that, but, I mean, you think about... Uh, there's not really much going on else elsewhere. I mean, the, the Reds aren't playing, Bengals aren't playing. Sure, it's the offseason, and we'll touch on that, but, like... Usually not much goes on in the offseason, but we'll, we'll touch on what has happened, and... Uh, well, Bearcats finally got back into action this past week. Uh, took on Temple last Thursday, and then they took on Tulane. You want to introduce just yesterday you want to at noon. Yourself to the fans listening. I was going to get to that. My lord! Well, you ruining the intro. It's not like you were trailing off a bucket. Continue. You're ruining the intro. My gosh! Continue the. You intro. already know who it is. Sean McMahon, joined by Alex Frank. Covered nicely. That was good. Thank you. Anywho. Continuing with the intro. Anyway. Uh, We'll get to the game about Temple first. Um, Bearcats winning it there, 63-60 on the road in Temple. Remember that game was originally supposed to be played here in Cincinnati at Fifth Third Arena, but was moved to Temple. Uh, John Brand explained that on, the, on his radio show last Monday night. I don't exactly remember the the, the explanation. It's, it's really complicated with the number of games that get canceled for a team. This or whole season's like that. been complicated. Just, yeah, yeah, really. Just put it to it that way. This, this past year's been complicated. But uh, <laughs> really? anyway, we'll get into the into this game. Uh, Alex, I'm going to ask you, give me, give me three things that you liked from this game. The effort and tenacity was incredible. Um, when you are coming off uh, 25 days of not playing a game, and you're able to go out there, and I, I noted this today on my daily preview show that, or not show, but, you know, I noted today that when you are able to hold an opponent to 38.6% shooting in their home gym, and, I, and look, I understand there aren't fans at, at these games in some arenas. There aren't. Temple does not allow fans. When you're still able to go on the road, and keep this in mind, too, this wasn't a normal road trip. You know, they were tested, I heard this last night, they were tested in the morning on Thursday last week, they had shoot-around, and then were tested again. Welcome to uh, welcome to pandemic basketball, ladies and gentlemen. That seems a little excessive. Yeah, and, Oh, and then because of the protocols within the city of Philadelphia, they had to stay an hour north, I don't know if it was north, but an hour away from the game. So an hour away from the Leah Cora Center in Philadelphia... It took them an hour to get to the game. Right, I should say that. It, it took them an hour to get to the game. They stayed outside of the city of Philadelphia. That's a little ridiculous. It is a little ridiculous. But then you're able to, after 25 days of not playing, starting a walk-on, not a freshman, a walk-on in Rob Banks, who had only played three minutes prior to, three minutes of his career prior to Thursday night of last week. And you're starting... Who else did you start? You started Mike Saunders Jr., his first career start. Jeremiah Wait, Jeff, wait, wait. That doesn't sound right. Mike Saunders Jr.? Was that really his first start? Yeah. He's a freshman. Yeah, but so is Tari Eason. I know he's a different player, but... Well, first, uh, that, career, start, first career start for Mike Saunders Jr. Uh, only took three shots. Did have an assist and a rebound. Heck yeah. Um, so the effort and tenacity, all the adversity that you were able to face... 
David DeJulius, I'll tell you what, and, and I and I did get a chance to rewatch this game and, and pick up some things that I didn't know. We is, this, is this your number two thing that you liked? Or watching what? the game. Like, this is my number two thing. My number two thing, David DeJulius, Sean, you know, before, prior to, that was redundant, to Thursday night. See, even I'm rusty after not before, doing the show. Before, prior to, before. Yeah, oh, okay. So, prior to last Thursday night, David DeJulius was primarily known as a distributor first. All right. House 26 points on 10 of 18 shooting, including I mean, 4 of 11 from 3. Yeah, he was lighting out the three-point line, but at the same time, he missed a lot of three-point shots as well. Well, he was 4 of 11 from 3. You are right. They did take too many. They, they took 33s, which yeah. was more than half of their 57 total shot attempts, and they only made 9. But they did make 9, which does equate to 27 points, which in a game where you win 63 to 60, hey, any three-point shot that you do make... It, it, it could be the difference, as was the case here, and as was the case against Tulane on Saturday. So, number one, the effort and the tenacity. Number two, not only did they... Ho- I'll go back to number two in a minute. You hold an opponent to 38 points. I think you said David Julius was, too. He is. But I'm going back to my number one point, the effort and tenacity. Hold an opponent to 38.6% shooting. Is that 38.6? 39.6, excuse me. And you force 19 turnovers. And a majority of those turnovers came from Temple starters. Mm-hmm. Four turnovers from Jake Forrester, three turnovers from J.P. Mormon the second, who has had a history of having great games against Cincinnati. Damian Dunn had three turnovers despite scoring 16 points. But you're able to force turnovers. You only lose the rebound battle by one. You pull down 10 offensive boards, three of which came from Chris Vote. And I'll get to him. We'll get to him later on. But I'm just noting the effort and the tenacity. David DeJulius... And if I had to pick a, a third element to this game, I'll say refer to one and two. Okay. Because uh, not the ability to bounce back after a twenty-five day long hiatus to come back well, and win against goes the along road. With, that kind of say that again. Never mind. That's yeah, too ex- much. exactly. That kind of goes along with what I'm, my number one point: the effort and the tenacity. Given that you had had twenty-five days off, and and you didn't know what to expect, they only had one. Five-on-five practice. Now, thankfully, David DeJulius, as was noted after the game, he had um, he he got COVID over the summer. He had tested for antibodies, which allowed him to be in the gym during the layoff. So he was able to have one-on-one time with John Brannon hmm. during the layoff. I think that paid off. I mean, Mark Adams, the color analyst for ESPN2 last Thursday, I mean, he called David DeJulius Simba, if that's anything. And he just, every time up the floor, was pushing with tempo, was playing with a purpose, was playing to score, three steals, 26 points total on the night. That's what I liked about most about Thursday night. The effort and the tenacity, and David DeJulius. Yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying about David DeJulius. I was going to touch on him. Um, I mean, he led from the front, you know, like, like a true leader does. He didn't lead from the back. He wasn't barking orders. You know, he was he was barking orders, but he was following the same orders that he was barking, and, and it paid off, and he just had a great game, and I think this whole season we've been kind of waiting for him to, I don't necessarily want to say we've been waiting for him to spark to life, I mean, he's been great all season long, but this was a game where he really, really went off, and I think his his abilities, his... his uh, possibilities as a player are just, you know, beginning to bloom, and... and uh, I think he's played. He played a really great game against Temple, and and hopefully he can keep up that success. And maybe some odd success will rub off 
on uh, on other players, you know, because um, you know some other guys are are, are doing pretty well. Um, I mean, you look at the points here. Uh, I mean, Chris Vogt. We'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, only had three against Temple, and uh, they were all free throws. And uh, he stinks at free throws. We all know that. If you just watch him shoot one, you're like, Weesh. <laughs> Jeremiah Davenport at 14, though. I mean, he's he's been pretty consistent, I would say, this entire season. Um, he's a great free, and he's becoming a really good, reliable three-point shooter. And Keith Williams is is almost kind of becoming the number two behind David DeJulius, ironically. Um, he's almost uh-huh. become like he's almost become like the number two behind David DeJulius. Uh, he got 14, he got 15 points rather uh, against Temple. And, uh, you know, people were kind of expecting him to be the leader of this team, and rightfully so. I mean, he's a senior, and, you know, we know what Keith Williams is capable of. Uh, but it almost just seems as if the keys were handed over to David DeJulius, or he just, you know, took them and was like, I'll do it. Um, either way, uh, Keith still still being pretty good impact on the floor. Um, overall, for field goals, the Bearcats shot 38.6. Uh, Three-point range was 30%, as Alex said, and free throw was... Not very good at forty-seven point six percent. That is wow. That's really bad. I almost feel like you could give a lot of that to yeah. Fifty percent. I mean, Chris Voke made fifty percent of his free throws. So did David DeJulius, I guess, but he only shot four. So did Keith and Mike Williams. Adams Woods. Yeah. And, yeah, but Keith Williams shot two. I mean, yeah, yeah. No one. Yeah, that's interesting. Everybody went fifty percent except for Jeremiah Davenport. He went one for three. So, so no one had a better shooting. From the free throw line than fifty percent. That's and yet, that's pretty laughable. And yet they were still able to win. I mean, this was this was a typical Bearcats win, at least what we're used to seeing. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a good way to open back up the season because John Brandon mentioned on his radio show that you know Temple ha- Temple actually has played one less game than the Bearcats, but on his radio show he said. Ah, I don't really see that as an advantage because they haven't had five straight games canceled. Uh, I mean, they they pretty much did in the beginning of their season, but they've been playing a lot recently. Whereas we're just getting fresh off the off the you know long hiatus, and uh, it's going to be tough to respond to that. And, and it was, and it showed. And you know, Temple always gives us problems, as you know, everyone that's listening to this knows. Temple's just a pain in the butt for whatever reason, but. Um, it was a good win, and I think Bearcats fans were just happy to have a, a, a game to watch, you know, let alone a win. But um, we'll get over... We'll That's get kind over. of how I'm looking at the rest of this season. Look, it, it's obviously a, a different season. It's an abnormal season. Games are going to be postponed every single night, not just with Cincinnati, but around the country. But I, I was looking at the college basketball standings in the conferences yesterday, Sean, and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm noticing that... Teams have played quite a few, number, quite a bit of games. Yeah, Houston's played uh, seventeen yeah, or eighteen so at this point. It, it is a truncated, abnormal season, but I'm looking uh-huh. at the standings, and it's like this does feel like it's early February in college basketball. It kind of does. Teams have actually played a significant number of games. Yeah, I think for the most part, you have to give credit to you know what what you know keeping the student athletes safe. I get some of it seems excessive, but if there's a college basketball season. Um, I think that's good for everybody. You know, even if it's it frustrating is. for the players, I think it's good for them to get a chance to get back on the court. Even if it's frustrating for us as fans to watch five straight games get canceled or postponed, you know, and it's it's so much better than nothing. It really is because we, I mean, yeah. we had that last year for 
almost three months, and and that was miserable. So. I, I don't think I'll, I don't think I personally will never get over the NCAA tournament being canceled. Last that was year. oh man, I remember when I think I've said this on the show before, but um, I've definitely said this to you that when they said oh we're just gonna play without fans, it was like oh. Well, they might, might, as well, might. Just, might as well just cancel the whole thing. Yeah. And then they cancel the whole thing, and you're like, never mind, go back. And, uh, yeah, you know. It, it, you're right, and they are going to have an NCAA tournament this year. Now, that'll be nice. When we get closer to conference tournaments, I mean, we can talk about this right now if you want to. I don't know if conference tournaments should happen because, I mean, you're going to. You think we should just skip straight to the action? I just feel like, how are we going to pull off conference tournaments? Like, there, there's a plan in place. I, I don't agree with it. You know that. Yeah. There's a plan in place for the NCAA tournament, but they're, I mean, the conference tournaments, they're just like, well, they're going to happen. Well, I mean, you're going to, so you're going to bring in, I mean, the Big Ten's going to bring in 14 teams, Indianapolis. They're going to leave. Now, the, then the Big Ten teams that make the NCAA tournament will come back. Then there's, um, you're going to fly, you're going to bring in, 14 teams to wherever the SEC tournament is. I believe it's St. Louis. You're going to bring in 15 teams to the ACC tournament, uh, 10 to the Big 12, 12 to the Pac-12. Do you really want to do that? Yeah, uh, maybe not. I mean, I, I see your point, but I don't see any reason. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. And what you could do is you could quarantine. All teams could quarantine in preparation for the conference tournament. Now, I don't think that that. This is the other thing too. Sean, it's the it's that these athletes, it they don't have much of a life right now outside of school and basketball. Mm-hmm. Unless you're North Carolina and you want to go out and party maskless after beating Duke, which by all means, I mean it, it it is a very very hard time right now to be a student athlete playing any any sport collegiately. Right. But there is going to be an NCAA tournament this year. If there are conference tournaments, I'm okay with it. I mean, conference tournaments. I wouldn't be against it, but I mean, whatever happens happens at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If the if the whole point is to mitigate the spread, now sure. I would argue that you could still do the NCAA tournament the the way that it normally happens. But there is going to be an NCAA tournament, and if the, and if the madness is going to you know reignite this year, it might already be. Mm-hmm. Think about this. I saw this yesterday. There's two things. This is the first time since 1961 that Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky, none of them are ranked. That is probably the craziest thing ever. You think that's crazy? Listen to this stat. I I know what you're going to say next. None of the 13 winningest college basketball programs in history are ranked currently. Yep. And how many of them are going to go to March Madness is going to be interesting. Not many. I feel like when you think about it. North maybe Car- they'll be low North seeds. Carolina will. Kansas will. Kansas, but, Kansas Well, I think North Carolina is a bubble team. Bubble. I, yeah, they're, they're more bubble than firmly in. Kansas, yeah, I think, is... Yeah, Duke there. is gone. Uh, they're they're 500. Gone. Kentucky's completely gone unless yeah. they win the SEC. Unless how Duke- about Alabama, though? I mean, like, top 10 rankings and stuff? It's weird, isn't Welcome it? Welcome to... Welcome to the craziness that, that is this season. Is I mean, you thought last season was crazy when Duke lost at home to Stephen F. Austin and Kentucky lost at home to Evansville? Hey, welcome to this year. Now, what is it? March Is it March 350th today? I've, I've lost count at this point. Um, Don't actually do the math. Yeah, it, it, it's it's somewhere around there. But anywho. Uh, let's um, go to, should we go to did, Sunday's game? Yeah, we're going to go to Sunday's game really quickly. Uh, that game was over on ESPN Plus because, you know, conference. Uh, 
Anyway, the Bearcats went into uh, New Orleans, took on New the Orleans. Tulane Green Green Wave hashtag Roll Wave, as they like to say. Um, well, the wave got rolled. The uh, wave got rolled. Yeah, I mean they were were they six and seven or were they seven and seven? Because they were seven and six. They were seven and six. Okay. Okay, all right. Which gotcha. I believe all their, which I believe okay. most of those wins came in non-conference play. Okay, so they were over five hundred. The Bearcats are obviously still below that mark at five and seven now, three and four in conference play. But um, we'll take a look at some individual stats here. Uh, Chris Voke, Chris Voked rather had uh, two of five for field goals, so he actually contributed more than just a minuscule amount. He got six points in, which I guess is better than what he originally had. Uh, he was actually two for free from the free throw line, so there's that. So there's one person above 50%. And in fact, from the free throw line, the Bearcats were 61.5%, which overall, that's uh, I'll take that. I mean, that's not bad. Especially not having played in 25 days. Yeah. Well, like three days, but I get what you mean. Um, overall, from the three-point line, no. it was 37.5%, which is not bad. That's actually, that's that's I would say, pretty pretty average. Uh, and I mean, four of four of seven in the second half. Right, yeah, and that's that's pretty good. Uh, from the field goal range, they were forty-one percent, twenty-five for sixty-one. Um, pretty good. That's a, I mean, that definitely seems significantly better than than uh, the previous game. It's just that you know, two lanes actually they've played more games than we have. So you know, maybe no, not that many. They've only played a couple more than us, but you know, nonetheless, they've played a little bit more consistently. Um, so maybe they were just ready a little bit more. Plus, it was a road game for us. You know, there's all kinds of factors you could, I don't want to say blame it on. But, you know, there's other things that you could maybe say, oh, yeah, this, you know, could be a reason, whatever. But uh, overall, pretty scary ending. <laughs> I mean, Cardiac Cats, uh, you know, strike again. They get the win 64-61, to 61, but really, really, really quickly. And I mean really quickly. No tangents, right? Three things you like from this game. Go. Three things I like from this game. Keith Williams saw the rebirth of him a little bit. 20 points, 9 of 21 from the field, 3 rebounds, and 2 steals. Um, I like that they fought through turning the ball over 18 times, Cincinnati. And on their defensive end, they forced 17. And um, I I, I would say Tari Eason... Because he he was great off the bench, thirteen points, nine rebounds, six for nine for field goals. Let me give it up for Sam Martin. Yeah, yeah. How about no? That? Listen, I mean, John Brandon goes goes to him in the second half in a really tight game, and he plays four minutes, has an assist, takes a charge, did turn the ball over once, and picked up That's a foul. Okay. But for playing, you know, some really the first meaningful minutes of his career. Yeah. Listen, I gotta give it up for him. He is. Um, you know, he's he's worked really hard the last four years, and for him to get an opportunity like that to play in a conference game, meaningful minutes, not mop-up minutes, I have to, you know, that, that's one thing I like. I did like seeing him out there. Yeah, it was really because, you know, if this were a home game and they were actually fans, um, it just... Whenever he gets on the court, I mean, the energy in the building just changes. <laughs> I mean, anytime a walk-on yeah. gets put on, um, you know, even... I don't think people really know Rob Banks that much, but they know Sam Martin. Uh, for, for a couple of years now, people know Sam Martin. You know, he is like the walk-on of walk-ons. He hasn't done anything, like, notable. He just, like... 
he's just there and people love him and, and i think that's one of the best things about sam martin is that we were all excited for him you know like he's a name that we know and love and and he like you said he got meaningful minutes um you know he didn't contribute any points or anything but i mean no but it was cool I'll, I'll tell you this much though he looks like he is ready to fire every time he's on the court and what i mean by that is he he's in a he's in a stance ready to shoot the ball ready to catch and shoot you know, he, he's only... How tall is Sam Martin? I feel, like he, I feel like he's not that very... I feel like he's probably my height. He is... He's got to be no taller than 5'11". He's 5'10". Yeah, I, yeah. I beg to differ on that. I think he's not even that... Not that even that tall, 5'10". I'm 5'9 and 3 quarters, so, I mean, compare me to Sam Martin. He So, he's not he's not very tall, but he, he plays bigger than he is. I mean, he is... You know, he plays with energy. He plays hard. And that's what you want in a walk-on, you know, because you don't know when your next opportunity is going to come. I mean, heck, it could come on Thursday, which we'll get to that here in a minute at Memphis. But to be able to go on the road and win two games, and keep in mind, you have not played a home game in, although what's really a home game nowadays in college yeah, really. basketball, uh, I guess the fact that you are just you're, you are playing at home, it's like it's like you're going to Fifth Third Arena for a scrimmage. Which, you could just play in the practice gym and no one would know the difference. It's Watching a college basketball game this year, it is just it just it's just weird. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Um, I, NBA, I, I can do it because like you know it's it's a professional game. Uh, the NFL was fine, and, and throughout the season, stadiums began to be filled with more fans. Yeah, so it's just weird though because like I mean, you and I were watching North Carolina and Duke on Saturday, and it felt like a scrimmage. I mean, you don't you don't normally hear shoe squeak during no. a Carolina Duke game. Not in a Cameron indoor. Exactly. You're you're used to you know hearing fans and Cameron crackheads, as oh, I like to call them. What? A, good one. As someone who grew up in North Carolina, fan, it, it's just it is just really really bizarre to watch a college basketball game right now. And the thing is, like, there's a top fifteen game tonight. Yeah. Um, West Virginia and Texas Tech. And normally, Texas Tech would have, you know, United Supermarkets Arena and Lubbock filled to the brim. Yep. I'm not sure what their attendance policy is. And, like... I think they're going to make a run, but keep going. Texas Tech? Yeah. Listen, Mac McClung is one of the... It it might be the best transfer signing in the country this season. Agreed. Transfer from Georgetown. He's averaging over 19 points a game. I'm sorry. He's averaging 17.2, I believe. How do you know this off the top of your head? I made sure I knew the... The key um, points going into tonight's game because I highlighted that on my preview show today. That's impressive. Anywho, I just did the research. You can too, you know. I know. Uh, anyway, so Thursday, you know, I'm thinking. I've been thinking about this. I don't know why, but it's been over almost a year since the Memphis game here last year. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, and we're and it was on a Thursday, and we're playing them on a Thursday. I have video from that game on this Thursday. What a fun game! Or was, was. maybe it was Temple. I can't. You remember. always say you always say you yeah, filmed that game, but then you're like, it was either Temple or it was a red out. Okay, and the guy was holding a stuffed possum, so I took a video of it. A stuffed possum? Yeah, because rally possum. He was holding it in the cheering section. What? I don't remember that. I have a video of it. I mean, it wasn't a very big one. It was like a plushie. Yeah. Back when you could pack fans into an arena. Back Listen, when I could I stand less than six feet away from somebody and not wear like, a mask. Like six inches. Yeah. If only if only the CDC recommendation was six inches. Then it'd be like, okay, carry on. If only viruses worked that way. Eh, well, this one this one does not. Yeah. Anyway, so that was such a fun game last year here against Memphis. And so now the Bearcats are going to Memphis 
this Thursday, Memphis is 12 and 6. Mm -hmm. The Bearcats are 5 and 7. So the Bearcats have played six fewer games than Memphis. Right. Um, what, what, what should we expect on Thursday? Well, uh, I mean, you should expect competition. I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, Memphis is 12 and 6. And I, you know that's not a bad record for this for this for this year for this conference. I mean, Houston obviously is, man, they are trailblazing the way right now. Um, I mean, they they were oh, number yeah. five at one point. Well, that's and what then, happens when you add Our Lady of the Lake to your schedule, right? And what I was gonna say is that Houston. I mean, you look at the conference. If I can get that pulled up, I don't know why I'm struggling with this all of a sudden. Um, let me get the American pulled up here. One second. Should have this ready, but alas. Uh, I mean, in the conference play, they're ten and two. Overall, they're sixteen and two. You know, I, I mean, that's that means that they went undefeated in in in, uh, in pre-conference play, and that's pretty impressive. I mean, they were number five. Now they lost to East Carolina. You know, who was currently the worst team in the conference, but at the same time, we're not that far behind them. So. Don't keep, don't get your hopes up just yet. Let's get ourselves out of the weeds a little bit first. Um, but you know, Memphis is currently the third team in the conference, just behind Wichita State, uh, and the Bearcats put up a good game against them. And you know, I, I would like to think that with that twenty-five day hiatus, they got a huge break, and you know, now they finally get to come back to Fifth Third Arena. Or it is, I'm sorry, it's is it at Memphis or Thursday? Yes, it is at Memphis. It is at Memphis. At the so FedEx never mind. Form. So never mind. It's, it's, we we it's would be there if it was home. We play Memphis at right. home on the 28th. Right. So we, we would be there, but we're not because it's Memphis and, you know, that's really far away in COVID. But anyway, um, so with Memphis being the third team in the conference, I'm expecting another close one. I don't know if I'm expecting – I don't think I'm expecting a win, uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Bearcats got a win. Um, but I'm certainly not expecting one. And if it is going to be a win, it's not going to be an easy one. No, it definitely won't be. I, I'm looking at some of Memphis's numbers right now. Their leading scorer only averages 13.8 points per game. That's Landers Nolly the second. They have three players in double figures. Uh, in addition to La uh, Nolly the second, it's DeAndre Williams and DJ Jeffries. Now, DJ Jeffries, remember. Did he? Oh, Boogie Ellis is still on this Bo team? Boogie, a lot of players from last year's team. Oh, which, wow. Okay. Which had the number one recruiting class in the nation, by the way. It didn't really amount to much. Then again, yeah. they did lose James Wiseman early in the season. Not only that, but I mean, they still had... Um, Achua? Yeah, Precious Achua, he was thank something you. Else. He I mean, was great. He was something to watch. To wa I mean, in the second half, when we played him here last year, to I mean, watch that man play, he that was... That man scared me. <laughs> he's. I mean, he, he is a very versatile player, and he's now with the Miami Heat... So, yeah, he did, get, he did get drafted by Miami. So, oh, so he went to the NBA championship. He did. Wow, no. Um, well, I mean, he probably didn't play, but no, at least not much. The draft was after the NBA finals. The draft was back in November. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, so they, Memphis has from last year's team, DJ Jeffries, who played in the first game, Lester Quinones, the first game against the Bearcats, Lester Quinones, oh. Boogie Ellis, Alex Lomax, Damian Ball, Malcolm Dandridge, uh, Jaden Hardaway, Lance Thomas, so there's a lot of familiar faces on this Memphis team. Yeah. Um, rebounds per game, Musa Sis, if that's how you pronounce his name, uh, he averages 7.1. It's the same, maybe. I'm they got Williams, DeAndre Williams at 5.7, DJ Jeffries at 5.6, Lester Quinones at 5 rebounds a game. Uh, Alex Lomax having another phenomenal year, distributing the ball, 79 assists. 
through the team's first 18 games this season. Uh, steals, I mean, they got 32 from Lomax, 22 from Williams. So this is, whenever, when you think of Memphis, you think of them being very guard-oriented. I mean, that's going back to Derrick Rose and, heck, when even Penny Hardaway, their head coach, when he played there, back when it was known as Memphis State. Uh, this Memphis team, they don't have really maybe a star player like they did last year in Achua, who wound up being conference player of the year. Right, so. But what they do have is a team that has five players averaging anywhere between 8.3 to 13.8 points per game. Call it 8 to 14, I should say. And they have a they have many, many players, several players that can step up, whether it be distributing the ball, scoring, rebounding, whatever. They pull down 39.4 rebounds a game. I mean, for a team that shoots 44.3% from the field, 35.7% from three, that's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going through some of the numbers right now. Nolly's a 40% shooter from three. Jeffries is 41. Oh, so he's point, a, he's a threat. 41.5. Landers Nolly the second is going to be the guy to watch out for. And Kenyones. I mean, if you don't watch out, if you don't just watch out for Nolly, you got to watch out for Kenyones and Boogie. That's kind of what happened last year because if you if you double team to Chua, they were going to kick it out, right. and Kenyones was going to knock down a three and strum his fake imaginary guitar. Yeah, he would impersonate Jaron Cumberland, but that didn't work out for him. But anyway, no, no, it's not. And neither who is that guy? Oh, who uh, Rainier Thornton? Remember when he tried to step over Jaron Cumberland? Oh yeah, actually, I forgot about that. That was two years ago. I totally forgot about that. That was my freshman year. Man, that's a real throwback. These these games are close. Yeah, they are. Man, Memphis and Cincinnati is. I would imagine it's a rivalry. Yeah, I would say in in terms of the conference, I would almost say it's probably the best basketball rivalry you have. In the conference, I don't think there's any I think rivalry so. that that mirrors it. Before that, it was probably Cincy and UConn. Yes. Aside from that, I mean, it doesn't. When you look at the other teams, you're like, eh, these guys don't seem like but rivals. But this rivalry goes back right. to, I mean, the '60s. Right. And then these two teams are in the same conference, the Great Midwest Conference, and they're not far from each other. Exactly. By I mean, they meet in the. They recruit from the same area, basically. Yeah. They they met in the '92. Uh, regional final at Kansas City, which you see one, of course, to go to the final four. Penny Hardaway played on that team, so uh, I know you don't like Penny Hardaway. You don't either. I, 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 I listen. I've I've had the privilege of actually I've met him before. I've interviewed him in person. Oh. He, I mean, he. It's, it's some just something about him. I'm not a huge fan of, but do I respect him? Oh yeah, I respect him. I mean, I can respect any guy who's confident. Fair enough. And I think, to a degree, it rubs off on his team. Yeah. Yeah. And Well, okay. Uh, final score prediction? I do think, listen, Memphis has six more games played than Cincinnati this year, mm-hmm. um, which is a concern, especially for a team in Cincinnati that, excuse me, doesn't really have an identity yet. And that's what's, that's what's also so impressive about those last two wins. Because we don't know the identity of this team. It's just like a bunch of really good individual players. And yet they were finally able to come together as a team and win. So I think this game will be close. Just because Cincinnati's they're going to they're gonna come out ready to play. They have nothing to lose. I think Memphis does win given that it's in their home uh, arena and they are allowing fans. I will say Memphis wins this game... Um, 68 to 60. 
Okay, all right. Uh, I also agree. I think it's going to be close. I think Cincinnati is going to come out guns blazing, as they should. But I also think Memphis is going to come out guns blazing. It's just a matter of whose guns are, you know, better and who's more accurate with them. And uh, you know, it, it, everything's kind of pointing towards Memphis right now. And I hate to do it, but I'm going to pick Memphis as well. I'm going to say uh, the final score, sixty-four to sixty-two. Memphis. So you think it's going to be a little bit closer? I think it's going to be a little bit closer than what you said. Um, I, I, Yeah, I don't know. I just I have a remember, gut feeling. Remember last year the game at Memphis, that horrible non-call on Jaron Cumberland? Oh, yeah. Game? I remember Jay Billis was even mad. How is that not a foul? Yeah, I mean, you know what? And he was right. At, but Cincinnati also didn't shoot the ball well. No, and yeah, and the refs were not entirely to blame for that. Like you said, I mean... They just didn't shoot. That but if well. you, if you do get the call in that situation, you maybe have a greater chance of coming back and winning the game. But sure. you, but you dug yourself a hole too early in that game. Yeah. All right, moving on. So next up in the lineup, Cincinnati has hired a new defensive coordinator in Mike Tressel, the defensive coordinator out of Michigan State, uh, and he is the nephew, in fact, of Jim Tressel, the national championship-winning Ohio State Buckeye coach. All the way back in 2002 when he beat Ken Dorsey in the Miami Dolphins. Or, I'm sorry, the Miami Did Hurricanes. Did you just say the Miami Dolphins? I'm sorry, I meant the Miami yeah, Hurricanes. Well, They're very similar colors, but anyway. They are, and they, um, and they play in the same stadium, too. They play in the same very nice stadium now. Um, I remember when the thing got renovated, and I fell in love. It might be my favorite NFL I've driven, stadium. I've driven by it. It's very nice. But, um, anywho, Mike Tressel. Uh, I think Cincinnati fans have every reason to be excited, and they should have high expectations. I mean... We've been spoiled with Marcus Freeman for the last, you know, uh, what is it, four seasons after after yeah. this past season. And, you know, first season was nothing to brag about. But after that, I mean, I mean, the, the stocks just went crazy for Marcus Freeman. And, you know, the defense just maybe didn't get better every year. I think that 2018 defense was, I think in terms of numbers, might have been the best. But nonetheless, I mean... The defense never stopped being great. It was, you know, yeah. Cincinnati is a good what team? They're a really good defensive team. If there's one thing they can do well, they can play really good defense. And Mike Tressel at Michigan State had nothing but success under under Mark D'Antonio. Uh, and also, side note for Cincinnati fans that didn't know this, he was here in 2004 to 2006. He was here for the D'Antonio era. Uh, era. He was the linebackers coach and also the special teams coach. Um, but then he followed D'Antonio to Michigan State when he got hired at Michigan State in 2006, and he's been there ever since. So he came back to Cincinnati for the first time, and he was on the John Brandon show last week, and that was mostly because there wasn't much to talk about in terms of basketball, and they had him on for like all of maybe eight minutes. And uh, Mike Kressel came second, and you know, at that time, this was before the Linder Center had even been fi- uh, totally finished or even constructed. So it was a totally different campus, totally different city, really, um, different world for that matter. But you know, he made a comment about the facilities because Dan Horde asked him a question. You know, what do you think about the facilities? Like, it's crazy. This place was being built when I when I just left, yeah. and uh, so he was with D'Antonio. He knows this city. I would say probably at least decently well. He was here for three years, um, and he had a lot of success in Michigan State as the defensive coordinator, posing lots of top ten defenses in terms of scoring and yards given up and all kinds of things and i mean you know made the playoff in 2015 and they won a rose bowl in 2013 and and a big 10 title in 2013 as well 
two Big Ten championships. Two Big Ten you championships. Count the yeah, 2015. When they, yeah, that too. I mean, they they held off an Iowa team and they beat them what 16 to 13. That was. Yeah. I mean, that was. And they beat an Ohio State team on the road too. That is very true. They they did. I forgot. I keep forgetting about that. That was the field goal game. Yeah, with a backup quarterback too. Yeah. Um, I, I like this hire. I mean, he's noted he noted that he has been keeping tabs on the program and how far it has come. And, you know... He always felt like a Bearcat. That's what he said on the show. The one thing that he said uh, in his introductory press conference that stood out to me was this. He said that there are certain head coaches that when an opportunity comes to work for them, you, you, take, you take the opportunity and you run to it. Mm-hmm. And he said Luke Fickle is one of them. Uh, yeah, yep. And he's here now. And the thing about Luke Fickle, you know, two of his mentors, Mark D'Antonio, who he uh, coached under at Ohio State, and Jim Dressel, who he, I mean, Luke Fickle was his defensive coordinator. Right. Was he? Yeah. Wait. Yeah, he was. Excuse me. Luke Fickle was defensive coordinator at Ohio State for a little while. Yes. Was that was that? after, I think that was after his interim. Was he defensive coordinator before? That too. Now I'm before his interim year. Yeah, I feel um, like, I he might have been. I, I think like, he was either the linebackers coach or he was. Yeah, I, I'm getting all confused. But anyway, he coached under Jim Tressel, so he knows. So he's very familiar with who Mike Tressel is. Luke Fickle. And right. I I like this hire because, like you said, he's always he's always you know been a Bearcat. Whatever. He's back here. Um, he understands who he has at his deep on his defense. He's got Myshe Sanders, mm-hmm. and a he's lethal he, weapon. Exactly. I mean, he said he wouldn't trade him for any player in the country. No. no if you if you have someone saying that, and believe and believe me, there are some talented players in this country. I mean, this Myshe Sanders is easily one of the best end rushers. We he's going to be a top edge rushing prospect. If he's not, in, I I mean, he might be a first round draft pick. He could be a first round draft pick or second round draft for pick. For sure, third or second or third round. Oh, he'll go before three, I think. I think he'll go before he'll three. He'll go. If he continues to develop and stays healthy, I think he'll be well before he'll three. He'll go on day two of the NFL draft next year. Definitely. Yeah. Great that he's coming back. Thrilled that he's coming back. No pun intended. And Joe DeBlanco. Yeah. So Mike Trestle knows what he has. And he said that, you know, how can you take a great thing and make it the best? This Bearcats team doesn't have, you know, Many weaknesses. No. I would say, you know, left tackle is going to be a question mark on the end of the season. That's Big for the offense mark. to worry about. But defense, aside from maybe, aside from losing Derek Forrest and Jarrell White, listen, if you can just do what the Bearcats have done, that's the thing, too. We, we remember more. You have Streamers. Javon Hicks. Yes. Love Javon Hicks. Um, if you can just do what you've done the last three years, which is, you know, it doesn't have to be well. This well, this guy is going to replace this guy who graduated. No, you're going to if Mike Trestle does what Marcus Freeman did, which was just use multiple different players to fill a certain void left by a player who graduated from the year prior. Then all should be good, and this defense should not fall very far from where they were this past year. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I don't know anything about Mike Trestle's uh, de- coaching. But I know it's good. I mean, and the numbers show it, you know, and that's the thing that I think we can look back on and say, this is probably the best hire we could have gotten. Frankly, I I really think Mike Tressel is probably the best hire that Cincinnati could have gotten um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, you know, everything you just listed, the fact that him and Fickle go way back, um, the fact that he was here before. And the fact that he's just a great defensive mind, and and I would like to think that success would continue here with the weapons that he has at his disposal uh, on this defense. And um, 
I look forward to seeing what he, what he'll what he'll do in, in the future. I mean, and you know, Luke Fickle's a big defensive minded guy, so it's not like yeah. Mike Trestle's going to be, you know, hundred percent running the defense. Fickle's going to have a say in it too. So I I, I don't I don't want to think that you know a whole lot's going to change, but there is going to be a new kind of system because it's a new coach. But overall, it's not a whole lot's going to change because you still have Luke Fickle in his head coach, which is. A- it's just so great that he's here, you know, for a fifth season. And we kind of, you know, knock on wood, have gone through this off season or without many rumors swirling mm-hmm. of him potentially none. taking an opening. And think about this. Absolutely not. If Mike Trestle was able to do what he did at Michigan State, post top 10 units defensively. Which Marcus Freeman did in, in the 2018. Big, in, yes, in the Big Ten. And now he's coming here, which technically is a step down. No. Don't let the conference alignment fool you. Cincinnati is yeah. I mean, a, how long is how successful has Michigan State been in recent years? Cincinnati is a major program playing in a mid-major conference. Now, I would say, eh, well, maybe football. They're still kind of mid-high major. That's what I, I would say. Above basketball, mid-major. they're major. Basketball, they're major. So, you know, I, I still think they are deserve better than playing in the American Athletic Conference. I mean, hopefully, one day they're joining the ACC and all as well. But I do think that this hire by Luke Fickle, it's, you know, it's a very Luke Fickle hire. You know, Mike's uncle is Jim Trestle, one of Luke Fickle's mentors. Jim Trestle's been here before. And even though it's been 14 years, he knows what this program has done. It's not like he's a complete outside hire, like from, I don't know, USC or UCLA. No, he, I mean, he was kind of here more or less, I'm sorry to interrupt, but he was more or less here at like, Almost the birth of the modern-day version of this program, really. I mean, he pretty much, if anything, he sparked, helped sparked it. Mark D'Antonio is responsible for this program getting to relevancy, and then Brian Kelly made it all, made it one of the best programs in the country. Mm-hmm. So, and Mike Trussell is now back here. And if, how is it always so ironic? It, it's always, it always goes back to Michigan State. It really does. Because Luke Fickle was, you know, being rumored to take the job there last year. I, you Don't know. forget he was getting off the plane there, that whole thing. Remember that, that picture, was, yeah, that, the picture yeah. that surfaced? That was someone else, turned out to be. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, a little bit of an alarm sounded that day. But ultimately, Luke Fickle stays. Now Mike Tressel's here. And think about Marcus Freeman. Like, we don't really remember 2017. But you think about, you know, the last three years... I mean, guys came and went, but yet this defense remained one of the best in the the best in the conference, and you know, one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think they'll continue to be. I, I truly think they will. Um, it'll be fun to see what Mike Tressel can do. So, on that note, I think we've got everything pretty the much schedule, packed in. The schedule has not been released yet, but I think that'll no, come. Well, it'll probably come in the next couple of weeks. I think next few I weeks. Mean, Indiana Notre Dame is going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, the back to back too, back to back weeks. Yeah, to Indiana. Did, did we want to get to the Super Bowl that happened on Sunday? Should we talk about that, or is there anything in the Bengals Reds you want to touch on? Or? Uh, well, the Bengals. Well, I mean, the off season has really kind of started for all thirty-two teams in the NFL. Um, it's just going to be a matter of now the uh, evaluation period leading up to the draft, free agency. And then the draft in April. Um, the Reds pitchers and catchers report to spring training on February 17th. Major League Baseball and the Players Union are in agreement to have seven inning doubleheaders as part of the protocols for this season. I 
I don't agree with it. I understand it. Hopefully next year you're back to a completely normal season where you're having you know regular doubleheaders, not seven inning doubleheaders. Uh, runner on second base, start the 10th inning. There is not going to be a universal DH this season, so the NL is not going to have a DH. The AL is, at least for the time being. The postseason will not be expanded. I am okay with that. I do wish they would make one change to the postseason, and that is the wildcard game, Sean, where you have the two wildcard teams play one game to determine who moves on to the division series. I don't agree with that. I do think you should have a best-of-three series. If you want to have the home team or the higher-seeded wildcard team have home field advantage in the wildcard round, I'm totally okay with that. And then make the division series best-of-seven. Because now that you can play a divisional opponent in the division series, like the Yankees and Red Sox, Yankees-Red Sox should not be best-of-five series. That should be best-of-seven, point-blank, and the period. Um, so that's Major League Baseball. The Super Bowl on Sunday, Sean, um, that was unexpected. I mean, Tampa Bay, I mean, you can say, you can the story of the game, yeah, Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl. He has more rings now than any other franchise in the league. Mm-hmm. But how about Tampa Bay's defense? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they really did everything to hold Patrick Mahomes to literally zero touchdowns. They didn't score a single touchdown. Kansas City scored zero touchdowns that entire game. Do you want to know the last time the Chiefs did not score a touchdown in the game? Uh, I think I'm gonna, this is correct. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess. Uh, was it before they had Patrick Mahomes? It was before Mahomes became the starter. Okay. When was it? Week 11, 2017. Wow. This was also the first time the Chiefs have been held uh, below 15 points with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah, the offense was just stymied. I mean, well, I think Mahomes in an interview said they just did a really good job of taking away all ends of the field. They took away the sidelines. They took away the middle of the field and listen, just, just played. You if, know. if you're going to... That man can still throw off balance very well. The one incompletion that he threw to uh, Darren Williams, I mean, he was parallel to the ground. Yeah. And he still threw it, and he should have caught the pass. He almost caught it. I mean, what, what, what Patrick, I, I, I look, peep, Tony Pike said this today on Cincy 360 where he's like, why are we, you know, not blaming Patrick Mahomes for having a bad game? Well, it's because he's so great, and this is the first time he's been where he has not had a great game. He had a bad night. Sure. He's also a Super Bowl champion and MVP and NFL MVP. And had it not been for Aaron Rodgers this year, he might have won the MVP again this year. But what about Brady, though? What if Brady had lost it? What if let, let, let's flip the script? Let's say Kansas City and wins thirty-one to nine. And you're fair. But if, would you blame that on Brady, or would the storyline be the same? Uh, no, I I don't think I would. Brady had a Brady had. I would say he had a bad game. Okay. And no, Brady, well, not you personally, but do you think the media would flip? the Do script? I think the media would? Do you think they would say, "Oh, Brady, just you know, he's old, whatever. Uh, he doesn't belong." Like, what you know? That, do you think that would be the the storylines and the headlines? I I personally yeah, I, think so. I think well, knowing the media, I personally, you know, all the freaking TV shows on ESPN nowadays. That I don't know. Give. I don't know because he's not he's not with Bill Belichick now. He's with Bruce Arians. System QB. <laughs> he's, no, he's not a system QB. No, I know that was the sarcasm. Yeah, exactly. I I know and. Listen, it's unbelievable, but Tom Brady, to go to a new team, new offense, vertical threats downfield, and 
I've seen this week that Brady is aging differently than others. Like, you know... He's aging like fine wine. He's getting younger. He really is, isn't he? he? I, mean, I mean, what is it? I mean... I mean, whatever he's doing with his training methods, I mean, I don't know if Giselle's hasn't it, if Giselle's helping him. I mean, whatever he's doing, I mean, he's 43 years old and he looks like he's 30. He really does. He looks really good for his age. And for he, all, well, first of all, he eats like really healthy. I know for that. For all intended purposes, I think I eat healthy too. I think we all, I think we both eat healthy. No, but like, he eats like ultra healthy. Like, Tom Brady eats to a T. Trust me. His diet's insane. TV 12. The TB12 method. Uh, anyway, I, I'm not going to blame a lot of this game on Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he was running for his life. No, he was. I mean, he, he was giving every effort he could to just to get a pass off. And it was kind of funny. He, I mean, he would run yards and yards and yards and yards. And we were like, dude, what are you doing? Just get rid of the ball. But no, he wanted to keep the play alive. And, and I mean, he almost did a couple of times. He almost had a, two touchdowns off of two different incompletions. But... Um, yeah. What was the stat you told me that he ran for how many 497 yards? 197 yards. Yeah, that's absolutely absurd. I mean, it wasn't like he was throwing bad passes. He was throwing good passes receivers in ridiculous just ways. Open. His receivers weren't getting open, and uh, they they also just didn't make the catch. Didn't make catches. I think Tampa Bay just had him figured out in they short. But and I mean, you think about Gronkowski had a great game, two touchdowns uh, in the first half. I mean. All of a sudden, now Antonio Brown's a Super Bowl champion. Isn't that weird? You wouldn't have thought that. Uh, Leonard Fournette had a touchdown run in the third quarter, and like I, I, I oh, here's a fun stat: the Jacksonville Jaguars had three first round picks in the Super Bowl last night on Tampa Bay. Uh, Leonard Fournette. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh. Backup quarterback. Who's? I don't even. Do I even know who Tampa Bay's backup quarterback is? I think you should. Is it Blake Bortles? No, it's not Blake Bortles. Um, Blake Bortles. Oh man. Chad Henney. No, not, no, no, no. no, no. He Chad plays Henney. for the Chiefs. Uh, Byron Leftwich, their offensive coordinator, was eventually or uh, used to be their quarterback. Okay. Jacksonville. So there's another former Jaguar. Who was the other backup quarterback? Here, hang on. Because I forget his name now too. It's not Minshew, obviously. Um, it's not Bortles. Is it, um, uh, who's that? Blaine Gabbert? Blaine Gabbert. That's who it is. Blaine Gabbert. Yep. Who's the other, who's the other one then? I don't know who the other one was. I just, that was a stat one of my friends told me. I thought it was funny. Poor Jacksonville. Yeah, really. Saxonville. Anywho. I mean, hey, they got Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Or they're going to have Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Whoop-de-doo. The Bengals have Joe Burrow. I'll give you that. But they also Burrow, are Burrow, the Bengals. Burrow's 1-0 against Trevor Lawrence in his career, by the way. That's true. I shouldn't say whoop to do. I, I think Jacksonville, you know, I mean, it's the start maybe potentially of a new era. Trevor Lawrence, I think, I, I hope he's given every opportunity. I think it's organizational for Jacksonville. They're not very strong at the top. No, I, I think mean, I think that's the same goes for the Bengals, too. I mean, I think, I think when the top figures it out, it's like trickle-down theory. Just Yeah, but I've always, I've, I've always believed this. It's not that Mike Brown is dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't do enough that a lot of other teams do more of to win. I shot. Okay, go ahead. You know what? I think I can give you that. I think that makes sense because I mean, think about. I mean, think about the Bengals. Like you know, they take the emotion out of it and they say, okay, we. Sh-, you know, the fans say, well, you should fire Marvin Lewis. Okay, who's better? Th- because they're about continuity, familiarity, and stability, which they have none of. Well, now they don't. 
But Mike Brown has never Mike Brown has never been blamed for the Bengals being a dysfunctional organization. I disagree because I think it all starts with him because I think he has to hire a GM. I think he has to he hire does. the right. He has to huh? He does. What do you mean? He, he does need to hire a GM. Oh, oh I'm he agree does. With okay, you. okay. I've, I've always believed okay. that. All right, never mind. Um, he needs to hire a GM, and, and and frankly, we need to get a better coaching staff than what we have now, and a lot of other and a lot of other things. But Frank Pollock, offensive line coach, coming back. I know. I, I know, and that's a good hire. All right, moving on. Moving on. Um, I just wanted to note this really quickly. This is as of February 1st, so this isn't exactly accurate because apparently this just isn't kept up very well. But as of February 1st, there are three teams out of Cincinnati that are ranked, and three of them are from the GCL. Moeller, Elder. Moeller, Elder, and St. X are all ranked in the AP Top 10 for Division One high school basketball. Who's number one? Lakewood, St. Edward's, Shocker. St. Ed's. And then so, Moeller right behind him. So Moeller's two. Elder actually lost to St. Is one and one against St. X this year and also one and one against Moeller, which is which is good because like, I think it was the first time Elder beat Moeller in, gosh, uh, five years or something crazy. Like, So since you were there. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been a really long time since since Elder's beaten Moeller in basketball, no, and right and rightfully so. I mean, Moeller's been now, consistently. Now, did great. you go to the basketball games? Uh, not till my senior year, actually. Okay. I I didn't go to the basketball games until my senior year. But you always went to the football games. Oh, I never missed a home game. I never missed one. I never missed a GCL game except for if it was away against Moeller because Moeller doesn't have their own friggin' stadium, which is really weird. Um, did you did you travel to the away games for football? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I went to the St. X games. I went to the Sal games. I went to, uh, uh, oh gosh, I think I went to. Safe to say, it's a religion down here when it comes to high school football. It's a cult almost. But anywho, um, it, it's pretty. It's the closest thing you can have to a religion without it being a religion. I mean, it is played it, by it, religious it's, schools. It's the SEC above the Mason Dixon line. It's West Side Catholic people who just love themselves some good Friday night lights. No, I, I don't blame them. I mean, as you say, it's fun. It's. I mean, really, it's in, in my. Maybe outside of like Texas and Cali, it's probably the best Friday Night Lights in the whole country and Florida. Top four states in, in terms of football. I mean, really, when it comes down to football, it's like in Ohio in terms of in terms of high schools. It's really Cleveland and Cincinnati. I mean, there's Pickerington Central from from Columbus from Columbus, has... but that's really it. That's the only team from Columbus that. And not only you know, you have St. Ed's, St. I's from Cleveland. You have sorry, you have Elder Moeller, Lasalle, and and, I was just gonna uh, say St. X. I mean, you think about and Colerain. You think about high school football and the hotbeds for it in the country. I mean, Ohio football in general. Let's not forget that pro football was born in Canton. That's where my sister lives. And the Pro Football Hall of Fame is in Canton, Ohio. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, th- I think Cincinnati is like, just it's a hot spot for for football, and you know, it's it, it, that's what I love about this city is that it's such a deeply sport involved city from every level, every single level, even grade school football to a degree. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and yet this city. I would argue is a baseball city first at the uh, professional yeah, level. Yeah, I would I would throw definitely in definitely school, in high school baseball. Is also big down. It's here. pretty big down here. Yeah, definitely pretty big. Did you ever go to any elder baseball games? No, see, I never did, and I, I f- literally for three straight years. I'm not even kidding. Literally for three straight years, I ran track sophomore to uh, senior senior year, and the track is right next to 
the baseball fields. That's how ours was. Up at the pack. Um, the Panther Athletic Complex, for those who don't know what it stands for. Um, Keep forgetting that both our high school's mascots were Panthers. I forgot that, too. But um, for three years, I mean, they had just finished, well, not just finished, but pretty recently finished the baseball field, and they and they added this this outdoor, uh, like, almost facade or, or um, foyer, whatever you want to call it. And it matches the architecture of the main elder building. And it looks awesome. It's got little turrets on top, like, like you know, little castle turrets. It looks super cool. And I was like, man, I need to go to a baseball game. And I never did. I never got a ticket. I never went. I Frankly, I was trying to find someone to go with. But I also, you know, after track practice, I was like, man, I just really want to go home. And, it, and, and at that point, they were, they were halfway through a game. And it was like, well... So, so I, I, I want to go. I still want to go. I'm going to go at some point. Even though you and I did different events in track, would you like go home from track and you would just like raid the heck out of your fridge and just find whatever you could? Oh, my mom would normally have dinner by the time I got home. It was nice, hot, and fresh. And oh. It was really good. Oh. So I would raid the heck out of whatever she cooked. But she would eat a lot after track. Oh, my God. Yeah, are you kidding me? I would, I would eat as much protein as I could, frankly. I, I, believe me, I feel you. Yeah. I mean, what did you run? You were cross country? I was cross country and distance and track. I ran okay. distance and track. But yeah, I was a short distance guy. Times. Man. High school track was fun. I loved it. It was. I loved it. I don't know how we got all the way there, but. Well, high school on, sports. On show. Yeah, true. But, I mean, hey, look, it's about Cincinnati sports, so who cares? That is true. Oh, um, I should note this, and this is completely off topic, but they are closing the suspension bridge for traffic because they're, I believe they're renovating it. As they should. I mean, there's there's pieces of limestone that are chunks that are falling off of the arcs. But no one's going to be able to go across that bridge for nine months. Well, I would rather no one go across it for nine months, and then after that nine months, people go across it for years without concern than people constantly driving across and it. And you'd rather it be closed for something like this, a renovation, than due to an explosion on the bridge. A thousand percent. And there was also, uh, I saw this morning, that there were cars stuck on the Brent Spence Bridge for two hours due to the weather. Yeah, that's not shocking. I mean, there were tons of accidents as of, huh? I know. I, I when I was driving home last night from Kenwood, I was gonna one, say you just looked really confused. At one a.m. No, I know there were a bunch of accidents because I was I saw cars on the side of the road. There hazards on. I mean, you, you were going thirty miles an hour. This is the most snow. I think I heard from a friend. This is the most snow Cincinnati's gotten in ten years, and I believe it. I believe it. I mean, you've lived down here longer than I have. I've always lived like right on the outskirts of Cincinnati. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, we got a lot of snow. It's very, very. I mean, it's probably like it was like five inches deep. I mean, it, was it went, it went up to my ankle. It was coming down last night. Yeah, and it was, was kind of nice, actually. You know what? It was. I mean, if it, if it's if, if it's if it's going to be cold in February, might as well have snow. Might as well. I, I'm done with having you know gray days where it's 25 degrees and you see the grass. Like no. I want the grass to be white if it's going to be cold, and if the grass is going to be green, it better be at least, like, 55. I can get behind that. Uh, on that note. On that note, though, we've talked everything we can about sports. and You and have play-by-play play on Sunday, by the way, against UCF. I do have play-by-play play on Sunday. Alex will be there, as well as Caleb... Taylor. Taylor, thank you. I forgot his last name. Apparently, he's a UCF fan, so if you hear him make a favorable call towards UCF, trust us, we know. It's I'll, I'll, I'll pinch it. But yeah, we'll say something. Don't worry. Don't worry. But anywho, that's all the time we've got here. Thanks for joining us on Inside the 275 Loop. I'm Sean McMahon, always joined by Alex Frank. We'll see you next time, folks.